It's your attention again to Psalms 51. Psalms 51. And after this session here this morning, um, forgive me, not the way I planned it to be, but um, I'm going to have to leave. I have a service to be at this evening in southeast Texas, so the only way we could work it out is um, I have an earlier flight this afternoon. So forgive me. That's normally not our style. I would enjoy being here again to hear Brother Townley. Brother Townley is a great preacher, and I appreciate what I heard last night. Psalms 51 and verse 6. Of course, this is David's famous repentance prayer. And we'll pick up with verse 6. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. I want you to notice the first phrase of verse 6. said, Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts. Thou desirest truth in the inward parts. And then if you would, turn back with me into First Chronicles chapter number 27. First Chronicles chapter number 27. And I want to read one verse of Scripture there. I realize of late that this is a passage that I've noticed a few others read from and uh, maybe has used it as a source uh, for preaching. But just allow me to give my rendition here this morning. Verse 28, And over the olive trees and the sycamore trees that were in the low plains was Belhanan the Gitterite. And over the cellars of oil was Joash. And over the cellars of oil was Joash. Let's pray that the Lord would help us today. We need his strength, his anointing, his touch in this service. I want the Lord to strengthen us. Bless us in this house. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we look to you. We desire you. We thirst for your presence. We pray, O oh God, for your anointing. We know, Jesus, that you're able to do great things in this house. If we could just yield to you and allow you to move in our lives. And I'm praying, God, that you would strengthen these men today. Bless them all, God. Encourage, direct them, challenge them in the Holy Ghost. We'll thank you and forever praise you for it. In Jesus' name, would you clap your hands again to the Lord before you're seated? Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. There are several chapters here that describe in First Chronicles chapter 27 and chapters before and just after this. These describe the establishment of David's kingdom and then the transition of that kingdom to his son Solomon. And so it really is important here today that we digress a moment so that we can be brought up to speed of what is really going on in this passage. 
As you know, David's kingdom had been one of fighting and of bloodshed. Fighting and killing was just an everyday event with King David. There was hardly a day that he came home that his clothes were not stained with enemy's blood. David was a warrior. David was a fighting man. And I know that when you think of David, it is hard or difficult for us to imagine him being like this. But he is a real Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde in the scripture. He was a harpist and a very poetic man, yet he was a man that was also familiar with battles and bloodshed and war. You read about him one time, and he has a harp in his hand, singing beautiful melodies unto the Lord and writing psalms unto God. And then just a few chapters later, he has a slingshot, and he's ready to do battle against the giant Goliath. He had shed so much blood in his lifetime that the Bible tells us that the Lord would not permit him to build his house, to build his temple. So David's whole life has been one of wars. It's been one of battles. It's been one of fighting. It's been one of bloodshed. But now his son comes along, and God said, I'm going to give him peace during his tenure as king. I'm going to give him rest from his enemies. And this is uncommon for the people of Israel because they had really, up until this point, never known a moment's peace. Also, until this time, they had never experienced any type of real government or social order whatsoever. There had never been any type of real economic establishment. And thus, there had been no real workforce. All there had ever been for the nation of Israel and for the men of Israel up until this point was every man for himself. They lived in tents. They had done war against their enemies. But now things are becoming a little bit more civil. And there is not a need for such a strong military presence in the nation of Israel. Now they're going to have peace in the land. And the Bible says that David had slew the Philistines and subdued them. So finally their enemies had been neutralized to a certain degree. And for one time in their life, they're going to be able to settle down and lead uh, what we would call a normal lifestyle. At this point, they can have a regular life. They can hold a regular job. They can raise a family. No longer are they going to be called off to war. No longer is there the threat of having to leave at a moment's notice. Uh, they don't have to constantly worry about a man always having to go and engage the enemy in battle. They can beat their swords into plowshares. They can finally hang up uh, their weapons. Uh, there's going to be peace in the land. And you can imagine that this was a great time uh, for the nation of Israel. At this time of transition from war to peace, their whole lifestyle and their way of doing things is going to change. It is a time for them uh, to be rewarded for their faithful years and loyal service in the army, Israel's army, and to their king, King David. 
And now they're going to really find out what their responsibilities is going to be in this new establishment, in this new government, if you will. I'm sure that there were those that were wondering, perhaps, what is it that I'm going to be? Where will I go? What will I be asked to do? What's going to be my task? What will the king's will for my life pertain to? Anticipation has no doubt been building for weeks and weeks, perhaps even months, and there is an excitement. There's a wonderment, and it's a thrilling time for the men of Israel. But yet there is a whole lot of questions. Questions like, how am I going to serve the king? What's, what's my title going to be in this new kingdom? What is going to be my duty? How am I going to rank uh, among my peers? Because this was something that Israel had never experienced before. This is something that they had never done. They had never passed this way heretofore. And uh, everyone, I'm sure, is buzzing with excitement, anticipation, and uh, wonderment of what is going to take place. And I just imagine this man that I read about in First Chronicles, this man by the name of Joash, I'm sure he was just like all the other men of Israel. And perhaps when the time came that the jobs were going to be listed and they were going to find out what was going to be available to them and what jobs were going to be meted out in the kingdom, perhaps Joash wakes up early one morning, he goes down, maybe he gets, and I know I'm extrapolating here, but maybe he gets a... A Jerusalem Post, and he goes home, and he turns back there to the classifieds at the jobs that are going to be listed there, and he begins to read them off to his family. He gathers his wife and children in close, and he tells them, this is what's going to be available for the men of Israel. These are the jobs that we're going to be able to work. These are the positions that are going to be passed out, and so with excitement, they all gather around, and they listen to the list as it is read. He said, listen to this one. He said, uh, one of the new positions is going to be the keeper of the gate. I, I know that that's going to be an important position. And I, I know that, that somebody special is going to be chosen for that. And I might be the one that is chosen. He said, wouldn't I look good, amen, as the keeper of the gate? Everyone that comes to visit the city would have to consult with me. Everybody would have to go through me to get entrance into the city. That's going to be an important position when all the merchant men come to the city. First of all, the first person they're going to see is myself, and I'm going to be the one to qualify them. When all the dignitaries come to visit the king, the first person they're going to see when they pass into the borders of the city is me. And to be the keeper of the gate would be an important job. You get to wear a special uniform. This is a special position. That would be great to be the keeper of the gate. And then he then he reads on down and he said, yeah, here, here's another one though. It says that, that one of the positions in Israel is going to be the keeper of the wall. He said, you know, I could do that. He said, I could walk along top of that wall and act like I'm all of that. 
And uh, I know I've always had a very imposing, intimidating uh, personality and a persona about me. And, and uh, I could probably do that job pretty well. And uh, he, he's getting excited. And he reads on down and he finds yet another one. It says, the keeper of the king's house. Woo! That, that's really going to be an important job. I could go into security. You know, get me a crew cut. Get me one of those little lapels on my, or one of those little microphones on my lapels, 10-4, good buddy. And uh, wear some dark sunglasses and be in on all the insider stuff that goes on in the king's palace. Know, know the top secret stuff. Wouldn't that be a special job to have, the keeper of the king's house? Get to run with all those dignitaries. Get to be in the presence of the king. Get get to be his bodyguard, uh, get to watch over his property. That would be a special job for somebody. That might be my job. But then he reads on down. He said, there's another one that's listed here that says the keeper of dedicated things. You know, the temple's going to be built before too long, and and there's going to be some jobs that are going to open up over there. There's going to be some special positions, and, and there's going to be somebody that's going to have to watch over those things, those dedicated things of the temple. And, uh, you know, I, I can only imagine what it would be like to be able to hobnob with the priest and go out to lunch with the priest and get get to sit, sit down and, and talk with the priest on an everyday basis. I mean, that would be big time. Amen. If I was able to get that position in the kingdom, to be keeper of the dedicated things. And then he, then he reads on just a little further. And I'm just mentioning some of the possibilities that might have been there. And he reads on just a little further. And he said, well, here's another one. It says, keeper of the herds and the sheep. Well, you know, I, I'd like to try my hand at farming sometimes. Uh, I'd like to go into ranching. He said, you know, I could get me one of those big 10-gallon cowboy hats and Amen, and uh, maybe a sombrero, I don't know. I could look like one bad hombre, get me some boots, and get me some spurs, and a big belt buckle. I can tell you all ain't from Texas. Praise God, I'll tell you in Texas, amen, if they don't have anything else, they got a big belt buckle. That's their identification. They may not have a driver's license, bless God, they got a belt buckle. Hallelujah. Praise God. That's what they identify with. But anyhow, he, he said, man, maybe, maybe I could, I could, I could get all that get up on and I could, I could be the keeper of the herds and the sheep. That would be an important job in the nation of Israel. And this was just some of the things that were available and a few of the possibilities that, that lie ahead for the men of Israel. And the more that they waited and the more that they heard and read about these things, the greater I'm sure that the excitement began to build in the men that, that were wanting and desirous to, to work in some way for this new government and kingdom that was going to be established. Maybe even Joash told his wife, he said, you know what, we're fixing to move up in this world. We're, we're going to a new strata, a new place. We're, we're, we're going to move out of this, this rank and file of Israel. And uh, just being a private and just being a warrior and just being a fighting man in the army of Israel, he said, we're, we're fixing to move out of obscurity. Our days of being unnoticed, our days of just serving in David, its army, it's fixing to all be over. It's fixing to change. And things 
things are going to be different. We're moving up in this world. And there's excitement and there's thrill about the possibilities that lie ahead. And finally the day comes when the men of Israel will find out what their new responsibilities are going to be. And I don't know where they went or what, what the situation was, but I just imagine uh, going down to the, the employment chamber and waiting there as names are called out and assignments are passed out and given to these men. And uh, Joash is still waiting. And the line is growing shorter and the jobs are getting fewer. And he wonders, what, what, I mean, they've already passed all these jobs out. What am I going to do? And what am I going to be? And he's eager to find out what his responsibility is going to be. And finally, he hears his name called Joash. And he reports to the desk and his knees are shaking, his palms are sweaty. And this is it. This is the big moment that he's been waiting for. And maybe... Just for a little bit, his mind goes back to the cave of Adullam, and he remembers when he was nothing but a misfit. He remembers when he was nothing but a nobody. He remembers when he was in debt, he was in distress, when he was a social reject. But finally, he's going to have the opportunity to be somebody. Finally, he has arrived on the scene. Finally, he's going to move up in this world. And he's listening intently to what his assignment is going to be in the kingdom. And maybe he thought that he was hearing things when the announcement came. And so Joe said, Joash, your responsibility is going to be the keeper of the sellers of oil. He can't believe it. Maybe for a moment he thinks there's some type of mistake. Maybe, maybe you got the wrong person. Sir, are you certain that this is the king's will for my life? Is this... Is this what he wants me to do? Possibly there's been some type of mistake, but the answer comes back, no, no, Joash. You, you won't be moving to the king's palace, and you won't have that high position in the temple, and you won't be walking the walls of the city and guarding, guarding the city, but Joash, you're going to be moving to the cellar. Now that cellar is that subterranean vault. It's that underground living quarters. It is that covered place. You can't get any lower, really, than the cellar. It's the last place in the standings. It's, it's the most degrading place to be, to be in the cellar. I remember when I was just a boy, and we would travel many miles to where my aunt lived on a large farm. And uh, it was exciting to go there because it was out in the country. And we was able to run all over that land that they had. And there was all kinds of hills and creeks and barns to investigate. And it was quite a deal for a little boy. And I remember uh, I, I, there was not a place on that farm that I, I didn't want to go to and didn't want to, uh, to investigate. I remember wading the creeks. I remember fishing in the ponds. I, I, I remember getting in the barns and playing in the hayloft. And I, I remember running all over that that hillside there where that farm was. But there was one place on that farm that I can guarantee you that I never really had a desire to go. I never really wanted to go to the cellar. Because the cellar was the place where all the spiders was. Where all the bugs were. 
It was a dark place. It was a damp place. It was a drab place. There was nothing exciting. There was really nothing alluring. It was dark and it was musty and it was filled with insects. It was uncomfortable to go to the cellar. And son, can you imagine when Joash comes home with his new assignment? He's like a little boy that's coming home with a bad report card. And he's hating to report to his family because they're waiting with anticipation, thinking they got their bags packed, ready to move to the palace, ready to go to the temple, ready to take the new job as the keeper of the gate. And he has to come home and tell them that it's not going to be that. It's not going to be like we thought it was going to be. In fact, we're not going to the palace. We're not going to the temple. We're not going to get a new home. We're moving down to the cellar. And that's what the king's will is going to be for our life. But if that is the king's will for our life, and if that's what he wants us to do, and if that's what his assignment is for us, then we're not going to grumble about it. We're not going to complain about it. And we're, we're not going to feel like we're undeserving of it. But we're going to go and do the very best job that we can. Oh, if I had a little time here today, I could tell you that there's some, there's some things that, that as men in the church we may be asked to do. Amen. We don't need to have the attitude that we're too good to do them. We don't need to have the spirit that, that that's beneath me. But pastor, whatever assignment that you would give me, if that's the will of God for my life, that's what I'll do. There's no job that's beneath me. There's nothing that's too low for me. Amen. I just want to be a worker in the kingdom. I just want to do something for the work of God so it progress and to have revival in the church there's nothing that's too menial for me amen praise God praise God amen and so he gathers his little family and they move to the cellar now everything at street level is normal business transactions are taking place there's a lot of hustle and bustle in the city. High-profile high people are being are carrying out their their jobs and their business. People are busy with their everyday lives and their routines, and they don't even know, and they've just forgotten about Joash. But somewhere beneath the surface dwells a shadowy figure by the name of Joash. As he faithfully watches over Jerusalem's oil. And I don't know what necessarily stored these oil, this oil. But I just imagine maybe rows upon rows of containers. And uh, they're all there in order. And everything is kept clean. And everything is kept pure. Mold and mildew is immediately eliminated. Because this oil is sensitive Amen. This oil, we cannot afford for it to, to grow rancid or to spoil. It has to be kept in the cellar because it has to be kept at the right temperature. It's a sacred thing. And if this oil is not protected from the elements, it will become useless. So someone has to keep it. Someone has to protect it. Somebody has to carefully guard it. Somebody has to maintain it because what is worked out in the cellar would eventually manifest itself in the temple. 
you understand that this oil had destiny because someday it was going to be used. I want you to hear this. Someday it was going to be used in the temple. There would be oil for lighting. There would be oil for anointing. As I understand it, that oil would touch everything. Everything in that temple would be anointed by this oil. It would touch everything that was in the temple. That's why it had to be so carefully guarded. That's why it had to be so carefully protected. Every man that would be used of God in the temple would be anointed of this oil. Every article of furniture would be anointed of this oil. Every sacred sacred vessel that would be used in the temple would have to be anointed by this oil. And let me just tell you today, brethren, let me just say this, but before any individual or any generation, for that matter, can enjoy the anointing of God and experience the anointing of God, there must be another man or another generation to keep it and protect it. That's why I thank God for elders among us that have kept this message pure, that, that have protected the anointing, that, that have kept this truth, amen, close to their heart and preached it and carried it on through their generation so that we can enjoy, so that we can experience the anointing and the presence of God and the power that we experience in this house right now. Oh, clap your hands and thank God that somebody protected the oil. They kept it pure. They kept it undefiled. They kept the doctrine pure. Hallelujah. Thank God for that. I'm appreciative of that. And that this oil was going to touch everything that was in the temple. Then it really did matter what happened in the cellar. And this is really the crutch of my message here this afternoon to you. It really did matter. If that oil was going to touch everything in the temple, it really did matter what happened beneath the surface. It really did happen. It really didn't matter what happened when nobody else was watching. It really didn't matter what happened when nobody else was looking on. It really didn't matter when the pastor wasn't there. It really didn't matter what happened in the sanctity of your home. It it really didn't matter in that cellar. If that was going to touch everything that was in the temple. Oh, I'm going to preach here today. Amen. I feel it in the Holy Ghost to tell somebody in your private life, it really does matter because what you do in your private life does affect what happens in the temple. Somebody said, my unfaithfulness, it really doesn't matter because nobody really depends upon it. I'm going to tell you, amen, it really does matter when, you, when you're unfaithful to God. It affects other people in the temple. It touches other people's lives in the temple. Somebody really, it said it really don't matter whether I pray or not and, and whether or not I really am consecrated to God and committed to the things of God. It really doesn't matter. I'm not a very influential person. I'm not, I'm not one that is, 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 is dealing with other people in the church. I, I'm not affecting anybody else. It doesn't matter what I watch. It doesn't matter what I look at. It doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter what I read. Amen. It's not affecting anybody else but me. But what you don't realize, amen, is it's going to affect other things in the temple. What happens beneath the surface, what happens when nobody else is watching, does affect other people. Hallelujah. Let's lift up our voice to God and talk to Him for just a moment. Hallelujah. Come on. Come on. Amen. Little spirits that I harbor of resentment 
against the pastor that he don't even know about. Amen. And maybe my family don't even know about it. But, but you know, I'm just a little bit crossed in my spirit. And I don't think anybody else knows about it. Amen. It's going to affect other people. It's going to touch other people's lives. Well, it really don't matter. I mean, I, I, when I get online, it don't matter where I go because nobody else sees it. Hallelujah. I'm going to tell you the, the websites that you visit, they've got a way of affecting other people's lives that you're an influence of. Somebody said, what, what happens in my thought lives and the paths that I allow my mind to go down? That doesn't affect anybody else but me. Don't, don't be so naive. It will affect other people's lives. Your lack of consecration, your lack of prayer, your lack of worship, your lack of submission, your, your lack of a relationship with God is going to affect other folks in the temple. It's going to touch other people's lives. It's going to affect other individuals. So some way, God, help me not. I'm not, I'm not preaching to you about what your persona, what everybody else thinks you are. I'm not preaching about what, what your, your peers think you are. And I'm not preaching to you about what. I'm not preaching to the person that, you're, that your pastor thinks you are. Because, you know, amen, unless God reveals it to us, we don't know everything. Amen. But there's been times that I thought, man, there's a dip in anointing around here. Something's off. Something's wrong. Something, I mean, we, it looks good and it looks like everything's fine, but there, there's something missing here. There's something that this thing's not ringing true around here. There's, there's something that just ain't moving right. Uh, uh, the spirit of revival that, that I felt just a few weeks ago, it suddenly lifted the, the presence of God and the anointing of God that, that used to help. Come on, without the anointing, amen, we can't see anything really of effectual work done around the church. Uh, we've got to have the anointing. It's the anointing that destroys the yoke. Uh, it's the anointing that'll bring deliverance. Uh, it's the anointing that'll change people's lives. Come on, there's not enough talent in the world to substitute for the anointing. There's not enough skill in the world to substitute for anointing. There's not enough good preaching or words that could be strung together that can substitute for the anointing. We've got to have the anointing of the Holy Ghost. That's why there's got to be private consecration. There's got to be a prayer life that goes beyond Wednesday and Sunday morning and Sunday night. You've got to know how to get a hold of God when the pastor's not looking, when nobody's there, amen, to check whether or not you're living for God serving God like you ought to. There's got to be a desire in your heart that said, I'm going to keep myself pure. I'm going to keep myself committed. I'm going to stay consecrated to God. Because there's a generation that needs to be able to feel the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's talk to God for just a moment. Come on, let's talk to God for just a moment. Somebody said, well, it, it doesn't really matter. Amen. Nobody's really caught on to that spirit of pride and lack of humility that I have in my life. Amen. Nobody's really discovered that there's a spirit of rebellion in my heart. It's beneath the surface. 
Nobody knows about it. I'm going to tell you, God knows about it. And it does affect what happens in the temple. Uh, nobody knows that roving eye that I have. Nobody knows. Amen. God knows. And I, and I venture to say that it's affecting the anointing in the church. Amen. Praise God. Nobody knows the thoughts that run through my mind. And I realize that the devil has a certain amount of access to our mind. Like the old preacher said, you can't help the birds flying over your head, but you can sure help them from building a nest in your hair. Amen. We gotta we gotta gird up the loins of our mind. We need that renewal of the mind that I was talking about last night. Amen. We cannot conform to this world, but we gotta be transformed. We gotta take on the likeness of God. Hallelujah. We, we can't afford to walk after the things of the flesh and the lust of the flesh. Amen. Praise God. Bible tells us that there's going to be three struggles. The lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Uh, I'm going to tell you, you can't get around it. You can just about put sin in any one of those categories. Uh, amen. We've got to continually war against it. That's what prayer does. Uh, amen. That's what fasting does. I encourage you men to get you a day out of the week that you consecrate to God and say, God, I'm going to, I'm going to give this day to you. This is your day, God. I'm going to fast for my family. I'm going to fast for my church. I'm going to fast for my preacher. Amen. I'm going to fast. Amen. To get this flesh under subjection because I need your anointing in my life. Amen. Um, I think you'd be amazed if you'd take that one day out of the week and give it to God. Some of you probably already do that. Most of you probably already do it. What effect it would have on your children. What effect it would have on your family. What effect it would have upon the church that you attend. Praise God. It's beneath the surface. Nobody else knows about it. Amen. But God's watching. Amen. And I believe that there's times when God begins to deal with us. And God begins to give us opportunities to deal with those inward things. And it's at that opportunity, that window of opportunity that God gives us. The Bible says that in the life of Jezebel that he gave her a space to repent. God gives us opportunities to get things right. Why not on this Saturday afternoon at men's conference? Amen. We get some things straightened around in our private lives. Before it becomes public. Before it's an embarrassment. Before it destroys anybody. Amen. Help me, God, to get it right. Yes. 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 Ben and I are one of David's mighty men. The Bible tells us. You've heard the story walking by a pit on a snowy day. The Bible says that when he looked into that pit, there was a lion in it. Most of us would have said, well, he looks pretty contained to me. Looks like he's in a pit. That's where he belongs. He's probably going to stay there. No use. He's no threat to me as long as he's in the pit. But you know, Ben and I, he shows us a very powerful principle here. He said, you know, I, I could maybe walk today and let him go and never have a problem with him today. But it's snowing outside. And if the atmosphere gets just right and enough snow falls in the pit, that lion could climb out. And if he escapes this pit, 
he may catch me in an unguarded moment when I'm not expecting him. So while I know where he is, and while I have the opportunity, and while it's revealed to me, I'm going to draw my sword. And I'm going to draw, amen, I'm going to, I'm going to walk down into that pit, and I'm going to slay him on a snowy day. While it's beneath the surface, while nobody else, while it seems so contained, amen, I'm going to go ahead and take care of it now before he finds me in an unexpected moment in my life. Would you stand with me right now? Maybe there's somebody that wants to draw the sword on some things that are beneath the surface today. No, they, they may not even be sin, but there may be some things, some leanings, some, 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 some temptations, some, some, some drawing that is going on in my mind and my heart, some fighting that's going on within that I could take care of today, that I could deal with today, that I, that I could slay today in my life, that I could, that I could get control of today in my life. Come on, brethren, if we don't build some safeguards and if we don't take care of some things in our personal lives, in our private lives, it's going to destroy us. Amen. God, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me. Help me to get a covenant with my eyes. Help me, Jesus. Help me, God, to, to, to make up my mind and purpose it in my heart uh, that there's some things that I'm not going to participate in. There's some conversation I'm not going there. That there's some things that I'm not going to listen to. There's some things that I'm not going to let my eyes look at. Would you lift up your hands and your voices to God as the brother comes? Uh, amen. We need the Holy Ghost to help us today.